It's the Dick and Ham Show. It's episode nine. We've got Sam. No, we don't. We don't have Sam. He's not here. <laughs> <We do not. laughs> it's the Dick and Ham Show, episode nine. And we've got Boots and Ranch in Melbourne, David in Oslo. We're brought to you by Snake Gun for Android and iOS. And the Dick and Ham Boner. It's a boning knife for your ham. And it's made by the Dick Company. Look it up. It's a real thing. And they're, they're a proud sponsor. Always, always have been. The Dick and Ham Boner. The best knife you can bone a ham with. I wrote a whole thing, Dave, and you completely bind it. I'm, I'm ad-libbing ranch. You know that's what I do. Okay. I'll All re-record right. at the end, I guess. When your ham needs to be boned, you wouldn't bone with any old ham boner, so only bone with the best. Bone with Dick-branded ham boners. Available now for £35 at westernfelderdirect.com. Dick-branded ham boners. Remember, when you need to bone, use your dick. <laughs> and that is a real product i love ranch you're bringing back the voiceover talent you're just uh, yeah, the professional the pot station getting real up close to that mic so we got it there's no mistake and it's uh it's a, it's a professional job going on just 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 as an aside did any of you when you saw that zeb got back onto whatsapp after a long absence and downloaded thirteen thousand messages that <laughs> you were all waiting for him to get to that episode of the dick and ham show where he just rampant criticism of his ability to manage a business was going to come to the fore i wonder if he's heard it i mean i've, I've noticed that the, the podcast has more of an ability to upset people than i realized and we weren't we were not that complimentary of his business running skills and it was a bit harsh in retrospect so he either saw it and is and is a very good sport or he just sorry listened to it and he's a very good sport or he just hasn't heard it and doesn't know that we were just kind of piling on i'm pretty sure he just doesn't listen to it Look, not a lot of people do this. We're, oh, actually, we're through 400 streams. So that's, you know, that's, that's quite a lot. It's equal to the number of hours I've spent on it. One, one person per hour. <laughs> well, one person per hour. That's, that's a good well, return. One, 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 one stream per hour. Let's not. So. Yeah, it's not important. That's just details. <laughs> Don't have to talk about unique, unique visitors or any like actual metrics like that. Let's, let's use vanity metrics, please. So they're all we've got. So uh, the, the camp's back. Camp, we had a little bit of a discussion about uh, your, your vehicles. It's a well, well-trodden well path, and we won't go back down that. The, the legend of the, uh, the original Boots 626 and 323 mobiles. We also talked about the, the Mellow Yellow. Do you want to close the case on yellow soda in America? Because we claimed there was a, there was a counterclaim to your no yellow soda in America, which was Mountain Dew is yellow. I'm going to speak on behalf of the camp here. I don't think the camp was necessarily talking about the actual color. I, I think he was talking about a yellow Flavor. lemon flavored drink is what yeah, I was. Yeah, a lemon flavored drink. Uh, okay, okay. Well, okay. I just, just wanted to clarify that because uh, was, there was no yellow drink. I thought if you're talking about the color, the mellow, uh, sorry, uh, Mountain Dew is very yellow. What, what flavor is Mountain Dew? I've never established what it... Oh, it's unclear. What is it? It's nothing that God made. It's a completely man-made uh, construction of chemicals mixed with each other. A little bit like burger rings. How, how do you make... <laughs> what is a burger ring? It's, it's 48% deliciousness and then some nitrate. Yeah. <laughs> and just sawdust or whatever else is sitting around. I think food science, the more you dig into it, is probably horrifying beyond belief no. i heard i heard an interesting piece of food science that blew my mind that sometimes it's cheaper to do something completely absurd to create a taste than to do the actual thing that would have created that taste so a lot of products that are marketed as a smoked products they are it's they're not actually smoked they're basically let me remember how this is done 
they basically are injected with water that has been sprayed across a fire and captured smoke inside the water and then kind of recollected and then injected into the product, whether it's a meat or something, and that gives it a smoky taste. Somehow that's cheaper and more economical than actually smoking it as you would if you were cooking it. So like you're not saying, you know, if you've got like a, a smoke flavored, like a smoky cheese flavored chip or something like that, that's clearly artificial. You're, you're saying when you've got a, you know, like you buy a fucking chicken breast or something that is like yep. a, a real, oh, that's gross. According to my source, who I, who I trust and is a knowledgeable person, um, she's also a vegetarian, so she's pretty, pretty engaged in the issues yeah, okay. of how food is prepared. To quote Brendan O'Brien, there could be some problems of history there. Could be. Yeah, my, my, my experience with vegetarians has been that they'll lie. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty uh, pretty straightforward experience, I mm. guess. That That's it? Yep. <laughs> well, Boots can only talk about his experience. Now, Boots, um, I supported you on the yellow, yellow thing. Um, so now that I'm in your good graces, can we talk about the bombers? <laughs> Do we really want to talk about no, that? Like, no, we, do we don't. Do we... <laughs> it's a bad idea. Nothing's bad enough. That was intended just to be a uh, a, a short little wind up, and then we fucking move on because we don't <laughs> want to talk about that. But um, yeah, this... should we talk about sports? Let's do um, it. Yes. Give us an NBA update, yes. and then talk a little bit about the NFL, maybe. Yes, I'm looking forward to doing both those things because, God's sake, I don't want to talk about this. And the um... <laughs> so. Uh, and probably of particular interest to to Dave is the current state of the NBA playoffs. Now, given the sort of timing for production of the podcast, we probably don't want to get too uh, wrapped up in what the actual details of the, of the score lines are. But and I think kind of what has played itself out. I know we sort of talked about the basketball really at the start before they kicked off the season, but remarkably have gotten through this entire, you know, not knock on wood through more than halfway through the playoffs and the seeding games without having a, an incident or a COVID incident that, that has delayed or changed the tenure of the games. The one thing that has postponed games was the reaction to the players in the bubble of the um, shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin that uh, caused the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks to cancel a game, uh, their game. And they actually were prepared to forfeit the game. Um, but when, when they decided not to take their call against Orlando in round one of the playoffs, that then resulted in the, uh, in all of the teams actually calling off their next games. And then an additional, uh, an additional day that, that wasn't played before the decision was taken to, to recommence the season. Were there some teams who were willing to pull out of the whole thing? There's the reporting has been that on initial votes, the the, the Clippers and the Lakers voted to uh, to not continue the season. That's been disputed subsequently and said that no, there was it was never taken to a vote. There were just views expressed by some members of those teams that they should cancel the season at that point. And what? But what was ultimately decided was that they looked for some concessions and some commitments from the owners, principally around around voting and kind of using team stadiums and others as as voting sites on election day, just making it easier for people to vote in what is increasingly becoming a uh, a pretty polarizing U.S. election. What the NBA had in that period of time is they were really the preeminent live sport 
going uh, in the US and kind of attracting eyeballs from the from the rest of the world. So the fact that they actually didn't didn't play those three days got got a, mm. a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of coverage, and they you know ultimately they seem to have achieved some things. I mean, it was a bit haphazard in the way it happened. The you know some of the background reporting has said that the other teams were a bit uh, miffed that. Milwaukee kind of just decided to do this themselves without telling the other teams. But I think equally there's a, a, a enough people or enough players who said, no, they didn't need to tell us that that's what they're going to do. They made a decision themselves and then everyone else followed their lead. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's kind of what's cool about it though to me. I mean, you know, it seemed, it seemed to be like something that was just fairly organic. I don't think the, you know, it, I, I don't get the impression and correct me if I'm wrong, that the, um, you know that the Bucks had been talking about it for days. I think just they kind of got there on the day and just decided this this doesn't feel right. You know, like we can't do this. I know there's particular history with some at least maybe three of their players or something where they'd kind of been, you know, victims of poor police behaviour. Let's call it that. And so like that that it all just kind of came out of nowhere for them, and they just kind of decided this was what they wanted to do, not necessarily with the intent that you know everyone else would kind of cancel games or, or, or postpone games. Like I think I'm right in saying they were willing to literally forfeit the game and have it just handed to whoever they were playing, right? Yep. No, that, that, that is correct. I mean, I think... It's so great. The George, George Hill is probably the most uh, outspoken of the, um, of the players and had sort of previously questioned when this first, when the news of the shooting first happened, you know, I'll question whether whether they should be playing. And he apparently told his teammates, he said, look, I'm just, I'm not playing tonight. I'm, I'm, you know, I can't in good conscience go out there. Sterling Brown, who's one of the players you referenced, Ranch, who had had a previous run with um, profiling police behaviour, joined him. And then uh, Giannis, uh, if the, the, the insider reporting is to be believed, then just said, okay, well, none of us are playing. And then that's... Once the best player says it, I guess that, uh, that, that yeah. means something. Is there a parallel in Australian sport that you can think of? A, a uh, social justice-based strike in recent history? No, and it's difficult to see when, where that would happen only insofar as we don't have a sport where the majority of players are in that, that situation where it's their, mm. their part of the cadre of people who are, are are being offended by a particular um, set of circumstances. I mean, you you can look at the um, the Aboriginal players in Australian rules football around you know the the disparity in life expectancy, disparity in education outcomes, and other sort of social causes uh, for Indigenous player people, and think well perhaps that's something that might drive a similar attitude and obviously we've seen the the black lives matter protests in australia but it's it's to my mind it's just not the it's not the same where you've got 90 percent of the players forming that 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 same cohort as the the person who's been directly uh directly impacted i can think of two examples but they're individual example one big and one small the small one when i worked at cricket Stuart McGill was picked to go to Zimbabwe and refused to go uh, because he didn't agree with, uh, you know, the, the, the way that country was being run. That didn't make a big deal because he was, 
he was like the second or third backup and he was sort of trying to make a statement, but it wasn't very loud because he didn't really have the clout. But the, the, the famous one, I guess, and I guess everybody knows this, but just a reminder was um, Australian sprinter Peter Norman was, was the third guy on the podium in the, uh, the Mexico Olympics when well, the other guys, Tommy Smith and the other guy did their, their black glove salute. The Australian guy was mm. um, the, the third guy. And they were, they were his gloves. That's why they had one each, because he gave them his gloves and they had one each. Yeah, Peter Norman still holds the record for the 200 metres in Australia and also was um, basically shunned after that, which was uh, shameful. Only, only after he died did he sort of become forgiven for that. But he was never picked again, wasn't invited to the Sydney Olympics. God damn it. Yeah, there's been some, some, some interesting articles about Peter Norman in the and and really probably focusing on that horrific treatment that Dave's just just mentioned um, and that just being uh, because the, the the American establishment was so pissed off by this and and I think they uh, made their displeasure clear to the Australian Olympic mm. Committee which then had that had that flow on uh, flow on effect. Mm. I believe he went to the Sydney Olympics as a guest of the American team because they sort of revered him still from what he did all those years ago. And they, oh, they invited him and he went as a guest of those. And, and I do know that the two guys who stood on the podium with him were Paul Barris at his funeral, which is pretty cool. Yes. Uh, but the, the, the record thing is the thing that blows my mind that you could, with the advancements in, in sort of sports science, that he can still hold the record for 200 meters from what would that be yeah. 30, 40 years ago? It's kind of insane, unless there was some really weird altitude that they ran at or some weird external factor that somehow made it extra fast. But very interesting that that could stand for so long. Mexico did set a lot of records. I mean, Bob Beeman's yeah, that's true. long jump records set uh, for, for a long time. It was actually thought that it would, would probably never be broken. Actually, the triple jump world record was also set at that, um, at that Olympics, which kind of makes sense if you have a look at no other Olympics has been held that far above mm. uh, above sea level. But just to wrap up the NBA boots, how, how have you rated the standard of play considering it's an abnormal situation? Phenomenally better than I expected. It, it has been a, a really solid quality of basketball. Um, if, you, if you've had an opportunity to watch the games, it, the, the atmosphere, look, obviously it can't, it just can't be what you would expect from a, um, uh, you know, a, a game, in fact, in front of 18,000 passionate fans. But it, it, it does, particularly these playoff games, have had a feel of real stakes. You know, the players are clearly trying as, as hard and, and you know, sort of running themselves to the edge of exhaustion as if they were in those, those stadiums. Um, and the competitiveness of the games has been, has been phenomenal. And I've been super impressed with the way the broadcasts have, have dealt with the issue of, of no fans and the way they've set up in these, you know, gyms that aren't purpose built for either broadcasting or hosting sport to still create a, a feel and an atmosphere on television mm. that, you know, resembles watching, watching basketball. I don't follow b- basketball as closely as you guys, but um, it really just does feel like they're just an exceptionally well-run organization, the NBA, like that, how well they've kind of crafted the bubble and been able to, you know, they were leaders in terms of, you know, stopping the season before anyone else. They were leaders in terms of setting up this, this bubble concept. It sounds like they've actually been able to push through and then execute and looks like they'll finish the season and finish it fairly, fairly well, you know, all along the way kind of being, 
I'd stop short of saying that they're promoters of kind of, you know, social activism within the playing group, but they don't seemingly actively stand in front of it like other leagues who we may or may not be about to talk about next. Um, mm. You know, like, and, you know, that the, the, the culture that, you know, Silver and the NBA themselves have kind of created that kind of allow for the players to talk openly and kind of, you know, to take the action that, that they took, I, I think is to be admired. There's still, there's still controls around that. I'm sure the NBA don't want, you know, the players to kind of just, you know, forfeiting games left, right and centre every time anything happens. Of course, they're not going to kind of stand for that for, 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 for ever and ever. But, you know, it's, it's a credit to them. They, they certainly seem to be far more progressive than, 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 than many leagues around the place. And so good on them. Mm. No, games have been great. I, they felt a little bit, some of them felt like March Madness games boots were just like a little bit chaotic mm. and, and out of control, but like in a good way. And unlike the AFL, the rule changes in basketball have encouraged scoring. So you get higher scoring mm. games, which surprise, surprise is uh, entertaining. One thing I thought was, mm. was uh, unintentionally humorous was obviously very cool that the players took a stand and put messages on their shirts, the league supported them, all the rest of it. The players came up with the slogans themselves, which again, I think is really great. It, it begets, it becomes a little bit also they had a choice. They didn't have to do it or they could choose one. But amongst all the suggestions, there were a lot of really powerful, strong statements. And then there were just one or two that were a bit shit that, that, <laughs> that one of the players suggested and it somehow got through. So one of them, as opposed to like education reform or justice or something was, I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> and one guy put it on the back of his shirt and it was a player whose name was like Terrence Mann. <laughs> you, you definitely are. There's no, 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 I don't think anyone was questioning that part of it. Like it feels like a bit of a waste of message to just go with that one. So, so lastly, um, uh, before we move on boots, your tip for to, to win the whole thing is, is what? so I'll, I'll, I'll do it by saying, I, I think that I think it will be the Lakers and the Clippers in the Western conference finals oh, that's cool. um, i think it i think it will be uh miami and uh, this feels very chalk but i think it will be miami boston in the other uh in the other final um i think uh boston comes out of that game with the heat and i'd love to say the lakers come out of that game that the series with the clippers but i i suspect uh, all things being equal, that in a in a long, probably seven game series, that I I would expect the Clippers to prevail. Jesus, the um, fucking you get Clippers! Clippers. Eh? Wow. Mm. Now, of course, I'm probably trying to reverse jinx this as hard as I oh, possibly can. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. You reverse <laughs> jinxing the shit out of that. Who do you think? Who do you think, Dave? Just, um, I'm not following it closely enough. I don't I don't really trust the Clippers because I don't trust Paul George to play no, well in the playoffs. Enough. So I think he's going to fail when they really need a second banana to, to not fail. And I think he might do that enough times that they'll, they'll fall over. Um, so certainly, certainly the games they've, they've lost so far have been usually when he's pulled a, uh, a no show. Yeah. Well, we should, we should talk about this another time. I'm, I'm interested by his, he's just one of those players who is a lightning rod for, for dislike. He's just an unlikable player mm. and people are, hoping and waiting for him to fail, which I would argue is a little bit unfair, but I'm almost one of those people and I don't really even know why, but he's just... Yeah, if, you, if you follow any of, any, any of his post-match press conferences when he gets asked about his performance or an opponent's performance... Yeah, um, I guess that's when, when the, the Dame Lillard hit a 50-foot shot over into end of season and he goes, it's a bad shot. You go, well, went in. So settle down, big fella. 
Well, as we all know, he'll, he'll never be forgiven for giving himself a nickname, Playoff P, before going, <laughs> before going out and getting torched by Joe Ingalls. And that's, uh, you know, basketball Twitter doesn't forget that. It will never forget <laughs> him right. putting up five points and losing to Joe Ingalls after giving himself a, a big shot nickname. That's just a rule that everyone learns in grade four, right? You know, the kid who gives himself the nickname, A, never gets called the nickname and gets picked on a lot. You think Boots chose Boots? No yeah. way. It's a, it's a terrible mistake. There's too many yes men around him, Ranch. Too many people telling him it's a good idea. You've got to have people saying no in your entourage. But to move from a progressive, socially aware, egalitarian league to one a little bit less so, NFL season, a lot of our listeners are not across the NFL at all. So what's the layman's explanation of where we're up to with the NFL? Let's, um, let's maybe do this fairly quickly, Boots, because we, we went long on, on the NBA. But look, the season's going to kick off, I think, soon. So I think it's next week. This Friday, actually, Ranch. Mark, is it really? Jesus. I better clear, better clear my calendar on Friday. <laughs> Cancel all your social engagements. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I, I think um, you know the the, the NFL are, uh, of the view that they're the NFL and the coronavirus can fuck off, and so they're essentially just deciding that that the that the teams will just kind of you know follow a few rules that they've written down on paper um and therefore if anyone gets sick to the point where you know like this whole season falls over it's therefore the players fault not the leagues um and so all the teams are just in their cities you know presumably not able to go to you know mcdonald's or the supermarket or something but they need to live in those cities and travel around and 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 they're just planning on playing the season because they're the nfl and and fuck you and so that's essentially what the plan is so i think the season will start um how long's it gonna uh, last uh, look, to, to be honest, I, I, I think they will probably find a way to, to finish the season just because the, the mindset of that entire country seems to be that we're just going to America our way out of, out of the coronavirus. Um, and so I think that, and there's so much money at stake that I think it'll, it'll eventually get done. But my God, I, it, could be, it could be a fascinating dumpster fire to watch. Boots, what do you need to add to that? Look, uh, look. I'm probably not as Dan Andrews as Ranch is on this. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, I'm not even sure what that means. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a North Face jumper, but besides that, I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, just, just the, the, the coronavirus is going to defeat us all. So let's just huddle in our... Um, <laughs> into our <laughs> Stay inside forever. <laughs> The um, but but the tenor of Ranch's comments is correct. They they are they're taking a view that they're putting an enormous amount of responsibility on the clubs. They they've got a very significant testing regime. Um, they have by miracle of miracles, there are currently four players out of the however many it is. I think uh, two two thousand odd players. Uh, are on the COVID reserve list, which is for people who've had a positive COVID test or a close contact or someone has a positive COVID test. I really want to believe that that, that 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 is all true. But as you say, it is quite amazing, is it not? You know, like... Uh, it, 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 it is, but they get tested every day. So, like, I just don't know yeah. how you would get through. Have you watched any of Hard Knocks? No, 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 I haven't seen it in years. Well, first of all, you miss out on quality television. Secondly, um, yeah, they've just gone through like the, you know, the, the part of it is they get tested every day. They also wear these armbands that tell you if you've been 
within um, 1.5 metres of someone for more than 10 minutes. And so it starts beeping at you and tells you to move away. So I think, but I think it probably goes to your point, Ranch, that actually within the confines of what they control in the building and in the teams, yes, I think they'll be able to have a you know, properly socially distance, uh, distanced uh, environment, but it's when they, they're living in their cities and they're, and they're you know, moving around, notwithstanding the fact that yeah, there's yeah. various things that they can't do. I think... Yeah, yeah, look. That's a good point. Like, like at the moment, that they're in, they're in their, their their training camps, right? So, like, they're they're not necessarily just kind of like you know, it, like people like they might be living on site at a certain facility or something like that. Like, they're not necessarily kind of you know just living their normal lives, you know, in and around kind of the the week of the game and stuff like that. So, like that that might you know be helping the situation. Um, I mean, for, from my point of view, I hope the season goes ahead and I hope it's 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 the best season we've ever had because I like as much as I'll kind of like be a little bit snarky towards the league. It's an amazing game, and you know, given how fucking terrible Essendon's been for so long, like <laughs> this is usually the time of year where Essendon's season ends in August, um, and by the time September rolls around, that's when I start to care about the Steelers again. So it's a perfect little way for me to, you know, kind of, you know, manage my own kind of depression at Essendon, and and then you know, actually feel good about something. So you know, I hope I hope the season, you know like goes off with it without a hitch, but it's, it's going to be fascinating to see if there's any possible way it could, it could go smoothly. I doubt that, but you know, how, how they pull it together and, and why not finishing the season will be fascinating to watch. Compelling viewing either way. Yeah. Before we even talk about the Chua Tolagabovia, um, in, um, in Miami and Joe Burrow. The, Nailed it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just edit that. I'll try to make that sound better. Not no promises. I'll try my best. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be hard. Um, All of a sudden, yeah. over the top, it's just Dave going, Mister Black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing how many uh, how many of those jokes are still valid. Have you guys got Disney yeah. Plus? Speaking of the I do. Yeah, yes, I do. But launches here in a week, and I'm pretty excited. Because uh, I, I was oh working in the TV game back when they what, back when they planned this, so I saw it coming a long time ago. And I was back then. I was thinking this is going to be really, really good. And that was before they owned. Um, that was even before they bought 20th Century Fox and all of the rights with The Simpsons and the others. Yeah, it's it, it's good. I mean, like particularly with the kids, it's just it's just amazing. Like, oh yeah, you know. Oh my god, like it's um just any anything particularly the kids want to watch is just there. It's um, surprising, like, you know, they obviously bought Fox and that's great because you get the Simpsons and stuff, not that I've watched any of it, but, you know, like a lot of Fox content has, you know, been adult skewed. There's not a lot of Fox, you know, old Fox movies and stuff on there like you would kind of expect. Um, and part of that is, I think that is when Disney Plus to just be like the safe family, you know, kind of yes. uh, option. And so it just means that... Um, yeah, like a lot of stuff that you would expect to be there kind of isn't, but it's not to say it's not a pretty amazing service, Like, but particularly for the kids. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Is the original Star Wars trilogy in it? Yes, as, as, all, all, all well, nine films. Well, that's Episodes interesting. four, five, and six are, but the original cuts of those. Oh, without yeah, but, but a version Lucas of the original trilogy is on there? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting to me because I actually think the one thing that surprised me when it launched here and when I signed up, it was a little more keenly priced and affordable than what I was expecting. And when it comes no, to that original affordable. trilogy, I think I would be almost certain that they're leaving quite a lot of money on the table because if you think back two years ago or five years ago, the only way to consume the original trilogy was either to purchase a DVD 
or if you're going to stream it, it was never on any type of streaming service other than a digital purchase model. So there's all these different ways of, of obtaining content. There's one called digital purchase, which is where you pay quite a large fee and then you kind of keep that file and download it and you have it forever. And most things were not offered under that model, but the, the Star Wars original trilogy was only offered under that model because they knew that people were the willingness to pay was such that they could, they could extract this real heavy premium for people who, who love the trilogy. So by bundling it in with this, I mean, th there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of leaving out because I would assume they pulled, so like iTunes, for example, I assume they pulled it from there and pulled it from basically everywhere. What, what, it, what it was in Australia, Dave, and actually you could stream the original Star Wars movies in Australia. Um, on with which service? service? With Stan. So Stan okay. had a deal with Disney. That's and rare. They didn't do that in other territories. Mm. I, th I think it's basically the deal that Stan cut because there was a, a fight between them and Netflix in Australia mm. to get the Disney content because Disney had you know, the, the other way of deli delivering it was with Foxtel and they had no interest in dealing with um, their main competitor in the or one of their competitors in the US prior to the Correct. merger. So they. Um, I mean, Netflix is the reason Disney Plus exists because they, they, yeah, they saw exactly. Netflix getting this big and they pulled everything. Everyone else did too, but you didn't notice because their, their catalogs, no one knew as good as Disney's. But when Disney pulled all this shit in, you, you noticed because it was fucking awesome. Well, and, and, and when NBC with Friends and The Office and yeah. others um, kind, of, kind of pulled it, that was also a big deal for, um, for Netflix and one of the drivers behind their the kind of new original content model. But it's, it's interesting that... Um, I, I, even when we're in an era of people kind of rewatching things, I, I, don't, I don't feel like those older shows like the friends and the Seinfelds and things are driving subscriptions as much as original content must be. So I don't know whether that kind of having those, uh, having the license to show some of those old shows, I don't know whether that's driving subscriber yeah. decisions, but I mean, it's, it's, I don't have access to any intelligence on it anymore, but what I would say but something like friends is, is enormous from a long tail point of view and like a passive it's, it's, it's a passive viewing experience, but the, the breadth of that is extreme because for whatever reason, friends has crossed the generational gap and 15 year old kids watch it in the background. And, but again, it's not a really active fandom where you would race out and pay for something, but as, as sort of background music or wallpaper, almost friends has this amazing, lifespan um so it's it's a it's an amazing property they did a deal with h&m this this teenagers walking around with friends hoodies and t-shirts over here it's nuts but just to go back go back and sort of distill what you're saying dave i i think is that whilst you and, and this is how obviously some of the streaming services look at their data and see that people stream all of these things if friends is available on a service you have you, it might be something that you go to as effectively comfort food, but it's not going to be something that's driving your decisions onto what, if you are going to rationalize the streaming services you have or the streaming services you acquire, yeah. that's not going to be the determinative factor. No, I agree. It might be a retention thing. Like it might be something yeah. that's strong enough that it stops you from killing a service off, but it's not going to attract you in and make you pay. But if you've got it, it might, you know, because what they want to do is reduce churn, which is people leaving because it's much more, cost effective to keep someone than it is to attract someone new. So it's probably very powerful in terms of keeping people going, but yeah, I don't know as a driver of like, Ooh, I better subscribe to that new thing. Cause it's got friends. It's, it's tough to sell something, even friends of that age as premium. Let's pay top dollar for this because you know, it's, it's, it's not the thing you pay top dollar for. 
the whole thing with Disney Plus, though, to me, just feels like it. it you know, they're, they're Disney, right? Clearly, they're going to be making squillions of dollars and they're a business and they want to make money. But, you know, like they could have priced this thing at some exorbitant amount and people would have paid for it because it's got every kid, it's got every movie your kids want to watch on it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but it's, it's incredibly reasonably priced and just everything is full HD from the start. There's no different tiers like, you know, one where you only get it in fucking 480p or something like that which is everything everything just comes through it's just 4k um you know like just for the one subscription price everything's there you know like of course they'd be killed if they didn't have the original star wars on there if they didn't have frozen or some shit or if you had to pay more for it so like it just it feels to me like they just kind of you know went oh yeah netflix oh yeah everyone else like it's 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 nice what you're doing have a look at this we're disney fuck off like you know they're like they've just they've just put everything on there they've made it incredibly effective and just everyone everyone gets it and everyone keeps it like that yep. just that just seems to be you know the approach and certainly the the impact from my yeah. point of view. It's the right way. You want to you want to get the sort of market penetration and land a very heavy punch first, and then mm. let's see. They may not keep it this cheap forever or this simple forever, but once everyone's in, it's much easier to make those changes. You've already got a big user base. But Ranch, I need to thank you for putting me onto Cobra Kai. Oh yeah, I heard you talk about it, so I started watching it and. I enjoy it immensely. What, what what can you tell us for the people who haven't watched Cobra Kai yet? Well, it's it's been around for a few years, and I remember hearing about it. And it was it was a YouTube original show, and I remember some of the podcasts that I listened to, not just the Dick and Ham show. Um, you know, had been talking about it. No, you know, I'm an old man, and I'm like, I'm not watching a fucking YouTube made TV show. It's bullshit. I'm not going to do that. And uh, and then it it appeared on Netflix last week, and. Um, Look, if you are someone who watched The Karate Kid a lot, um, which, you know, many of our listeners probably did, given that we're of a certain age. So if you watch that a fair bit, I will pretty much guarantee you'll enjoy watching Cobra Kai. It's basically like it picks up with Daniel LaRusso and Johnny, what's his name, Boots? Johnny, the body bag, Johnny. Yeah, Johnny Lawrence. They pick up 35 years later and, you know, it's kind of continuing on the story and for me, I kind of heard that and thought, oh God, that's going to be pretty lame. Like they'll just be mentoring younger kids and they'll kind of see the error in their ways in the past and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of not like that. Like, you know, the, they choose some some interesting kind of character arcs for the, for the two main guys and then how the different competing karate dojos come about are particularly interesting and some of the kids that get attracted to them and how that kind of helps kind of define their personalities is interesting and like the fascinating thing for me is that the show at times feels like bold and the beautiful and some of there's some terrible dialogue in there and it's incredibly, you know, kind of basic, but then at other times there's some stuff there that is just absolutely brilliant as well. And I, I think in the space of a week, I've almost finished two seasons and I love it. Yeah. I was not aware at all of the, the YouTube bit. So is there like a connection between the story from the YouTube? Because this feels like a 100% Netflix production i'm assuming this is not taking anything from the youtube thing no no this is just the youtube original show show. it is yes that's amazing because it it uses netflix's own formula like what i was about to start saying is that netflix understands nostalgia they they understand a lot about what pushes people's buttons and what you like but they they're the best at monetizing and also sort of partially modernizing nostalgia so stranger things is the best example like heavily tapping into nostalgia but they're using modern techniques kind of sneakily so you don't even notice to tell a story in a more modern way with the pacing and and the effects and all the rest of it and this is the like the best example of it 
in that they're taking footage from the original films and mm. taking the original actors, which is obviously a stroke of genius. And the fact that they're both still, that they've aged the way that they have really just works. Like they still kind of yep. look the same. You can still see them as the people who are in the films. I'm, I'm amazed that this wasn't 100% uh, conceived by Netflix because it's their formula and they're just yeah. so good at it. But yeah, top show. It's something that should not work at all. It just on you hear it. When I first heard, it, I was just like, "That just sounds terrible. I'm not going to watch that." But it is. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, like as it's, some of the decisions are just are, are really smart. And you know, talking of like nostalgia and stuff. Like, how far into it, Dave? Are, are you into oh, just like three episodes? Two? No, just three episodes. Right, okay, right. There's like so some of the needle drops in this show are amazing. Like just these these eighties you know, cock rock, hair metal kind of needle drops, just particularly on behalf of Johnny Lawrence are amazing. And there's one that is a song that was heavily used, I think, in the trailer for season one that weirdly you can't see that trailer with this song in it anymore. There's a needle drop halfway through season two when the Cobra Kai turn up and do this thing. And it's, I had to, I had to look up what the song was because like, I'm just like, this is the greatest 80s cock rock anthem in, in history. And I've, I have never heard this song before. Like, this is amazing. It turns out it's this band called Airborne, who are actually like a modern band, but their whole thing is like this kind of like 80s thing. And they're from fucking Warrnambool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounds like, I'm back in the game. It's bloody fantastic. And it just, it suits Cobra Kai and Johnny Lawrence and his whole thing so well. Like, when, when you get to it, you will love it. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, outstanding stuff I'm looking forward to. I mean, the other thing that no one maybe realised at the time, but karate kind of lends itself really well to, to movies. I don't know why. Like the, like seeing fight scenes of karate, there's something entertaining about it because it's not brutal. It's sort of visually interesting and it's kind of, there's something about it that just makes for good television. And I guess it's kind of quaint now by modern violence standards as well. So yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. it's a very yeah. safe choice. And I mean, this is part of the, the charm of the series. And I, I've only watched the sort of first uh, four four episodes, but even like when Ralph Macchio and Johnny Lawrence first meet up, and they talk, they talk about the fight, and <laughs> they, they're kind of just—it's all very passive aggressive. But talking about, well, you know, you, you elbow me in the back of the knee. He goes, "Yeah, I got a point deduction. You kick me in the face, which is clearly illegal, <laughs> and won the match." <laughs> Just, which is like when, when karate people talk about the karate kid, Daniel Savage should just be disqualified for that kick to the face. <laughs> that's, the, that's the backstory. Should have been disqualified. Yeah. He, he was actually it, wrong. It, Didn't deserve it. it. Was the, he, was, he was wrong. Daniel Savage was, he got, got, got the point deduction for the elbow to the back of the knee, not disqualified for kicking him in the face. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of karate choreography. When I was, when I was about eight, uh, or maybe even younger, my best buddy and I, um, it's his big brother who was an actor or sort of a, you know, an aspiring actor. We used to do these elaborate choreographed karate plays called Leslie. And basically the little brother was this kid <laughs> called Leslie. And it was just an excuse for the big brother to just beat the shit out of him and put on a play for the parents. <laughs> and I was, I was Leslie's, uh, I was Leslie's sidekick, Chad. And he used to, we both just used to get beaten up with these elaborate choreographed karate routines and, that was it. We had to put on these plays for the parents of just us getting beaten up. But then the younger brother one day kicked him in the nuts in a non-choreographed scene. And then that was, uh, <laughs> that was the end of it. We weren't allowed to perform those plays anymore. 
That was in Leslie Seven. Kicked him in the nuts in Leslie Seven. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the Cobra Crow, great recommendation, Ranch. Boots, what, what else is on your uh, TV screen at the moment? Can I, I would like to bring up one show that I'm watching, and it, it's from, from Apple TV, which so far hasn't had the greatest uh, content record. It's a, it's a show called Ted Lasso, which is based on a character created by Jason Sudeikis uh, of Saturday Night Live fame and, and other and other things. Um, What's up with that? The, the greatest Saturday Night Live sketch ever. <laughs> exactly. He created this, this character for basically to promote NBC's coverage of Premier League soccer because NBC had the, the Premier League soccer license in the, in the US. And so he's basically a US football coach so, he's a, so someone from the South has just had this unbelievable uh, optimistic outlook on life and, and just such a positive attitude to things uh, to the point of, of, of making comedy out of it. And he's a, so he's a, a US football coach that gets appointed to be the, the coach of a Premier League team that's struggling down near the bottom of the table. And that's a basic premise, which doesn't sound like uh, it would be able to sustain a show, but the the execution is is so excellent and it's such a just a a heartwarming feel-good show that at, at a point in time when yeah you know, we could we could all use a little bit of that uh that sort of outcome it's uh yeah it, it's pretty classic you know hero is presented with obstacle during episode and finds some good-hearted way without um screwing over other people to solve it yeah, I've I've um I've heard it's I've heard it's great. Ted Lasso is that what it's called? Ted Lasso, yes. And yeah, I, I I've heard that like the first episode, it just kind of feels like a well, he's the wacky fish out of water guy, but very quickly they mm. kind of get away from that, and it turns into something that's actually you know yes. genuinely good. I, I'd love to see it, but I don't own an Apple product. Watch it at someone else's house when you're allowed to go to other houses. That can be the first. Yeah, don't thing don't do. rub it in. Don't rub it in, Mister Norway. Yeah, come on. Yeah, Mr. I go to other people's houses. <laughs> I know, Mr. I went on a golf trip. Oh, shut up. How dare you? That's, that is so mean. Posting that picture to Facebook was a very big middle finger to everyone in Melbourne, Dave. I know, and including my pink pants, which I knew would enrage the Australian fan base because they're, they're too out there. And uh, sure, sure enough, there was, there was blowback on the, on the pink pants. But no, Norwegian golf is, uh, is different. People take their dogs with them, which was something I've never seen before. You're allowed to take your dog and walk the course with you, which is fine. But also, it's sort of half public land. So there was a horse. There's another photo where we're standing there at the tee and there's just a horse walking behind us. That's funny because on the golf weekend, we usually bring our rat. <laughs> hey! The rat. The rat's gone very quiet on this show. I wonder if we've sort of turned him off somehow. I keep checking the mailbag and thinking, you know, is he going to write something stupid to us this week? And he's gone quiet. Maybe he's given up on us. If you're out there, rat, come back. We miss you. Well, that's that one. And the second one I wanted to point out, which I think is really problematic, is what's going on on LinkedIn. So on a surface level, we all know that LinkedIn is not a great place. to. So if you're me and you're looking around for your next thing, you have to go on LinkedIn. But it's also not a great place to be. I think the reasons for that are, firstly, you, you do see quite a lot of updates of people losing their jobs or of companies announcing they're cutting jobs. And you can, you can really feel it when someone writes a post about the fact that they you know, today's my last day and I'm looking for this and looking for that. And you can feel what's happened and, and you, you worry for that person's future. And so that 
And you also know that there's not much you personally can do to help them. So that's not ideal to see that. You, the second reason I, it's, a, it's a problematic space is just the sales bullshit that, that is incessant. We've talked about the tactics before, just shameless, aggressive, nonsense, low value tactics. People kind of cold emailing you with just completely irrelevant shit and, and you know, sort of trying to shame you into buying their crap that you don't want, not even taking the time to work out what you do, just, just literally trying to email everybody they know. So many terrible takes on COVID on LinkedIn. Just, I don't know if the algorithm is pushing bad takes up to the top of my feed or not, but so many people positioning themselves as having some type of additional insight on knowledge or wisdom on what's going to happen and what is happening. And they just don't, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't be positioning themselves as such. But you could say that about almost any social platform though, couldn't you? I mean, like that's, that, that's not, that's not just LinkedIn, but linked, I mean, like the, the, the thing with LinkedIn for me is just that I'm just not sure what purpose it actually serves anymore. Like it's, like it just seems to be this big you know kind of stew of just badness like all over the place like it's 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 bad news it's just sales stuff it's people pushing shit the whole time as you say it's just like i'm not sure that you know my experience ever with with linkedin whenever i kind of open it up is ever anything other than just me rolling my eyes at you know, kind of everything I see and anyone who reaches out to me on it, I just feel like I, I just want to ignore unless it's someone I genuinely know. And, you know, if I get 10 messages from people on LinkedIn, like nine of them are going to be from people I've never heard of. Like, it's just, I, I don't, I just don't get what, what, what the platform's for. No, anymore. It's bad. I mean, I think the reason the takes get to me is it's because people are trying to leverage this shitty take into positioning themselves professionally this is people are trying to kind of get a step up by being some expert that they are not. And then that bothers me. But the thing I want to talk about and the real reason I'm, I'm irritated with LinkedIn. So they're taking the opportunity. They're basically throttling. You can say that you are open to job offers and you can put that as a setting on your LinkedIn profile. So the whole world can see that, Hey, if I've got a job that fits, I'm going to, this, this person might, is interested and I could talk to them. They've throttled that access down unless so now suddenly only people who are signed up as recruiters will see it which is fine but it's still literally it's gone from everyone on the whole platform can see it to just people who are specified as recruiters unless you put their shitty i need a job green circle around oh, your profile picture yeah, yeah and that's such a cynical and sort of passive aggressively yeah. shit thing to do because i think it's quite yeah. a personal thing if you're looking for work I think it's reasonably personal how you want to express that and whether you want a sort yeah. of a sticker on your, literally like a sticker on your forehead saying I'm unemployed. A lot of people probably just, just kind of low key don't want that. But LinkedIn mm. is, is literally sending an email saying, Oh yeah, you need to, um, you need to have our little sticker. Otherwise we just, you know, we can't show that you, that you're looking for work to the whole network anymore. And that, that is absolute shit behavior of the highest order. Yeah. I mean like it's, it's going to be a pretty, emotional thing for many people like you know in this environment not many people you know probably uh you know unemployed by choice you know like it's usually as a result of covid or a a poor organization or something like that like for for them to have to you know kind of walk around with it with a t-shirt or something written on their forehead as you say kind of highlighting that is is kind of shitty and it doesn't like to, to me the issue is it doesn't allow people to own 
own their own message and own their own story related to that. You know, when when we unfortunately make roles redundant, it's it's always about he- helping them express the story that they want to associate with with this exit and allowing them to kind of work with us to come up with that narrative. And so kind of taking that away and forcing people to express that against their will simply in the pursuit of getting another job to feed their family is fucking shit. That's terrible. And it's not for any real reason other than that they want people to use their shitty thing. And so they're imposing a very heavy penalty on people who just don't want it. And I think they've got a valid reason to not want that thing. Um, so I just, I just think it's, it's, it's really, really poor. Surprisingly tone deaf. Yeah, clearly they, they must just not understand it, I guess, because like it's, it's the users of their own platform that they're it's opportunistic. They're to... just, they're just trying it on. They, they believe in their shitty ribbon thing and they, they, they think that it's so important that they're just going to force people into it, yeah, um, it or take away their, their visibility as someone who, who wants work, which I think is terrible. And, and like the, the thing that they don't understand, I don't think is people like me who, you know, when I am in my next role and I'll be hiring people, I will, I will never use LinkedIn again to find talent because I'm so irritated by the way, by my own yeah. experience as being someone looking for work on LinkedIn. That's it for the Dick and Ham Show. Big thanks to Boots. Big thanks to The Ranch. We'll see you again next week, even though it's not actually every week, but who's counting on the Dick and Ham Show? It's not every week. It's never every week. <laughs> not. Not, even, not even close. <laughs> <laughs>